Well, this evening we're going to be continuing with the study that pastors started on the minor prophets. And the next prophet in the timeline is uh, Haggai, but uh, not Haggai, but uh, Hosea. But we're going to pass over him because one of the Sunday school classes have been studying him. And so we're going to move right into Micah. And uh, Micah, instead of preaching in the northern kingdom like all the other prophets that we've been studying so far, was a prophet to the southern kingdom. He was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. He prophesied, the Bible says in verse number 1, during the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. This gives us a timeline around 735 to 700 uh, BC. And he began his ministry in Judah during the time when Assyria was in the process of destroying and eventually taking into captivity the northern kingdom. If you could see the timeline uh, that we have up here, up at the top you have the prophets uh, to Israel. At the bottom, you, or which was the northern kingdom, at the bottom to the southern kingdom of Judah, all the different prophets. In red you have all the different events. And then in orange you you have Micah here. And you can see Micah was right around the time of the Assyrian captivity. And uh, he began his ministry right around this time when Assyria was powerful and strong and causing problems all throughout their area there. He began his ministry in Judah during this time. And he watched Judah as they were struggling, as, he was, as they were seeing their, their northern tribe brothers and sisters being carried off into captivity. And this was about eight years, about eight years before this happened. King Ahaz, who was the king of the southern kingdom during this time, around 730 BC, began to pay tribute to the king of Assyria and uh, for protection and peace. The Bible tells us this, that this placed a heavy burden on the southern tribe of Judah because every year, every month, they were having to pay the Assyrians not to attack them. And so they were paying taxes and they were sacrificing and giving for this protection. It also led the tribe of Judah down the same religious path that their, their northern brothers had followed the tribe of Israel. In 732, King Ahaz had gone to Damascus up in, uh, in, uh, the, near Assyria and to swear homage to the, to the king Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, and to his gods. And while he was there, he saw this beautiful temple that they had built up in that area where they were offering sacrifices and worshiping their gods. And he saw that temple and went, wow, that is beautiful. And so he grabbed it, or he grabbed the plans, the schematics. He, he took pictures, and, he, and well, he didn't have cell phones to take pictures. But he drawed out the sketches and all that. And he went back home, and he said, guys, this is awesome. We need to build one of these. And they built one right in Jerusalem. And they began to worship just as the Assyrians had worshipped. They began to worship the same gods and practice the same things that the Assyrians had done. 2 Kings 16.3 says Ahaz even offered his son by fire to Molech. He was following the traditions and the practices of the Assyrians. But Ahaz had a son. And it, the successor to the throne by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was determined to get out uh, under Assyria's heel. 2 Kings 18.7 says Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. 
Hezekiah's decision was surely motivated by financial concerns, but it was also part of his broader campaign to purge the idolatry out of the nation of Judah. After all, it would be much more difficult to, to expel the foreign gods if they were still allowing the foreign empire to be over them. Hezekiah enacted extensive religious reforms, including a strict mandate for exclusive worship of Je Jehovah and a ban on worshiping in other deities within Jerusalem's temple. He purified and repaired the temple. He removed the idols and reformed the priesthood. And as the Bible says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. It was a great time, spiritually speaking, in Judah under the reign of Hezekiah. It was also a good time logistically for Hezekiah to rebel against the Syria. During this time, the Babylonians had started to rebel. And the Syrians didn't like this. And so they were off campaigning and battling against the Babylonians and focused on the Babylonians during this time. But eventually, the Syrians defeated the Babylonians as well. And the king of Assyria at this time, uh, Sennacherib, I'll just call him Sinna because I have no idea really how to say his name. Sinna, he didn't like it and he headed back to Judah to stop the rebellion of Hezekiah. There's a prism of Sinna which details the events of Sinna's campaign against Judah. It is stored in the Oriental Institute in Chicago, Illinois. And this was discovered in Nineveh in the year 1830. If you look at the slide, you can see this picture of this prism that was discovered in the year 1830. This prism text brags how the king of Assyria destroyed 46 of Judah's cities and trapped Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem like a caged bird. And this prism is talking about the same time that Micah is preaching. Micah tells us that he is from one of these 46 cities that that the king of Assyria had come and destroyed. It says in verse number 1 that Micah was a Morishite, Mor Morishite. And so he is from one of these cities. Therefore, it is very possible... That Micah pro actually prophesied during this invasion and witnessed the destruction of his own hometown by the Assyrians. It's possible that he saw his relatives killed and taken into slavery. The Assyrians had every intention on destroying Jerusalem as well during this time of Micah. But God delivered them from Assyria by mysteriously killing 150,000 of their soldiers. Jerusalem is the only city mentioned in this prism, in his, in his scrolls, this prism, as being besieged by the Assyrians, but not destroyed. They don't mention the miracle of 150,000 of their people being killed at the same time, but they mention that they were only able to siege Jerusalem. They don't answer why they left. It was during all these ups and downs, during the reign of Ahaz and the reign of Hezekiah, the spiritual... Uh, uh, Blessings of Hezekiah and his father Ahaz, how he brought him into poverty of spiritually, spiritual poverty. It was during all of these ups and downs that Micah was preaching. He was there for the excitement of the rebellion of, of Judah against Assyria. And the terror that was happening when Assyria entered and attacked and destroyed most of Judah. He ministered through it all, the good times and the bad times. But through all this, all these trials, all these difficulties, his message remained the same. 
The purpose of Micah's preaching was to remind the southern kingdom of their covenant relationship with their God. That if they did what God commanded them, he would bless them. If they disobeyed, he would discipline them. He would punish them. And both of these were experienced during the reign of Micah, during his ministry. During the times of Ahaz, he saw how God was against them and how God had punished them. During the time of Hezekiah, he saw how God had blessed them and they prospered. Micah begins his book in Micah chapter number 1, giving a very important detail. He says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. Micah wants the people to understand and he wants us to understand that this is not his opinion. This is what God wants them to hear. This is what God wants us to hear. And he tells them that they need to listen up. He says, verse number two, Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that is therein is. And let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. He says, listen up, everyone. God has something important to tell you. You need to listen to what God has to say to you. You better be paying attention to what God is about to say. And we must notice that this message is not just for the Israelites. He said, O earth, all ye peoples. What he is about to say is applicable to us today. Because God has not changed. God is the same. And the message that he had for these people thousands of years ago is still the message that he has for us. What is the message that Micah has? Well, I broke it down into two separate parts. The first part is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Micah says that God will tread on the high places in Israel. Look in verse 3. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. God says that they even made Jerusalem a high place. A high place was any place they would often build up an altar on the highest locations because God was in heaven and so they tried to get as close as they could to God and build these altars up to God to worship their various gods who may be. Sometimes it was Jehovah, sometimes it was Baal, sometimes it was various gods. And God says even Jerusalem, which was located on a mountain, had become a high place. Look with me in verse 5. It says, For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria, one of the cities, the capital of the northern tribes? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Jerusalem, the capital city, God's city, they had turned into a high place, a place of worshiping other gods. It's described as a pagan high place. I'd already mentioned how King Ahaz had built a replica of the beautiful altar that he saw in Assyria or Nebraska and in Jerusalem had begun and he had built this altar there in Jerusalem and they began to worship idols at that place. And now God states that he is coming down to destroy these places of idol worship. This gives us an indication, at least this first part of Micah's prophecy was likely during the time of King Hezekiah. Because the Bible tells us that King, uh, or King Ahaz, I mean, because King Hezekiah had removed all the high places, it says in 2 Kings. You know, when we read the Bible and we think about these Israelites and how they, how they saw all that God had done for them, how God had blessed them, how God had brought them out of Egypt, and we see them building these high places, we go... What were they thinking? How could they be that way? How could they not continue serving God and worshiping God? And we, we look at their foolishness. 
But how often do we forget about our God and allow people and things and pleasures to take higher places in our lives than our God? We watch more television than we, we read the Word of God. We invest more time in building up our 401k than building up the kingdom of God. We're more focused on ourselves and the things of this world than worshiping our God. We often have things in our life that take the place of God in our lives. They're high places. They're places where we put at a higher place than our God. And we must be careful. We must consider what is going here. God tells us through the Micah that he is not accepting those things. He will bring judgment for the high places that are in our lives. Micah declares that judgment would begin with the northern kingdom in verse 6. He says, therefore I will make Samaria as in heap of the field and as plantings of vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley. And I will discover the foundations thereof. He says, I'm going to wipe Samaria completely out. All of the place, the city is going to be completely destroyed. And this would happen in year 722 when the Assyrians came into the northern kingdom and they wiped out all those cities, all those places that are around there. Speaking of Samaria, uh, the capital of, of the, the northern tribe at that time, God had given them every opportunity to get right. He sent preacher. After preacher, we've been studying through the, the prophets that God had sent to them to warn them, saying, get right, get right, your heart's not right. He had sent pestilence, he had sent disease, he had sent locusts, he sent thing after thing after them, trying to get their attention, to get them to pay attention to how they were falling away from God, and that judgment was coming. God was trying to wake them up, because God is so long-suffering. God gives us every opportunity. God wants all to be saved. And God is so patient and gives every opportunity to get right. But you know, eventually the, wrath, the cup of God's wrath fills up. And it's going to be poured out. And that's what happened to Israel. And we must be careful. God is so good. He is so merciful. He is so long-suffering with us. He's so long-suffering with our church. He's so long-suffering with our nation. But the wrath of God, if we ignore his, his warnings, his messages, the cup eventually fills up and his judgment is poured out. And that is what Samaria had experienced in 722. The time had come for the northern kingdom to be judged. Micah also knows that it's only a matter of time until his home nation of Judah is also destroyed. That is why he weeps and laments over the destruction of Israel and the impending judgment of Judah. He says in verse number 8 of chapter 1, Therefore I will wail and howl, I will go stripped and naked, I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls, for her wound is incurable, for it is, to, it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem." This was a time of great pain for the followers of, of the true God. They were, they were watching their cities and nations be destroyed by, by the social and religious corruption that had spread through these two nations like an incurable, contagious disease. That's what sin does. Sin spreads. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 5, he said, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It spreads. Sin spreads. It spreads in our own lives. It spreads in our families. It spreads in our churches. Have you ever noticed how your attitude affects the rest of your family? 
That if you're having a bad day, it affects your husband or your wife or your kids. If your, your boss is not having a good day and he comes into the office, man, it just brings everyone else down. Attitudes spread. Sin spreads. And sin is contagious all throughout. And Micah had seen what was happening in Israel. He saw the destruction that was coming upon them because of the rebellion against Jehovah. And it was incurable. They got to the point where they couldn't get cured. And then he sees it creeping down into Judah. He sees the sin coming down into Judah. And it's breaking his heart. He's seeing what is coming to the people. And it's bothering him. He saw how it was spreading throughout his land. And how was it spreading? It was mostly spreading because of religious leaders. Who had led the people to go astray. During Micah's time. The rich rulers would often pay the religious leaders. To make, make sure that the religious leaders. Did not speak out against their personal sins. And instead to, to say what they wanted to hear. That Micah tells us in verses. We don't have time to read through the whole, all the different chapters. But they were paid in alcohol. They were fed. Uh, they gave them money. These religious leaders would even go to the true prophets. And try to prevent them from preaching the truth. If other preachers were preaching. Preaching a different message than the false message of hope that they were paying the religious leaders to preach. The, the leaders, they would, it could hurt them financially. And we can see that in our political system as things are going that way. The, 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 uh, some of the, the political people want to influence the media to keep preaching this message. They keep saying this certain message because if this other message gets out, it could hurt the leaders. And so they want them to make sure they're all on the same message. And so that was what's happening in Israel and in Judah at the time the there was preachers that were being paid to preach a certain message to help the rich people and then there were people that were actually hearing from God trying to proclaim God's truth and they're trying no 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 you can't say that and they were trying to stop their mouths to keep them from preaching the truth but Micah was a prophet that knew the truth and he was a prophet that preached the truth and although it was a message that brought deep pain to his soul he told Judah that they too would be judged by God. God's judgment of them would not be executed by Syria, but by Babylon. Look with me in chapter number 4 and verse number 10. He says, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt, go, thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. To Babylon. In fact, Judah, Babylon at the time of this writing was not a threat to Judah. Assyria was the threat around them. Babylon, in fact, was probably a nation that was weaker than the nation of Judah at this time. However, Micah prophesied that this nation of Babylon, about 500 miles to the east of Judah, will be one day the one to defeat them. Jerusalem will be destroyed as thoroughly as Samaria. It says in verse number 12 of chapter 3, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps in the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest, it's going to be completely destroyed. Everything, including the temple of God, would be demolished. And we know in 586, around that time, when Babylon came in, they completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem, including the temple. It was completely plowed like a field and laid to waste. But you know, as God often does, His message of judgment is followed by a message of hope. 
And that's through Micah. Look at me. Look with me in chapter number 10 again, the last part where we left off. And it says, And thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Yes, you're going to be captive, brought captive. Yes, Jerusalem's going to be, struggle, going to be dis- destroyed. And it's going to be defeated. And it's going to be laid waste. But out of Babylon, I'm going to bring you back. There's a message of hope that God gives to the people. Jeremiah has prophesied that Judah would be taken in Babylonian captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar and would remain there for 70 years. After the 70 years of captivity, they would return to their land as God promised. However, only a righteous remnant would return, Jeremiah 23 says. God would use the Babylonian captivity to purge the idolaters from the nation of Judah and to rescue the righteous. And it was through this faithful remnant who returned to Judah that God would preserve the line of descent from Abraham unto the Messiah, unto the Messiah Jesus Christ. And Micah introduces this man of hope, this Messiah, in chapter number 5, telling us a couple things about the Messiah. Look with me in chapter number 5, verse number 2, this famous verse, but that Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Oh, what a promise that God gave us through the prophet Micah. Bethlehem was a small, insignificant city located about five miles to the south of Jerusalem. And we know that some 700 years After Micah's prophecy, Joseph and his very pregnant wife had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be counted in the king's senses. And there she gave birth to Jesus, the Son of God. This was where he would come from, the Messiah. The second thing that Micah mentions, we read in verse number 2, is that he is from of old, from everlasting. This would not be an ordinary man. This would not be someone like King David, who we know where his dad was, Jesse. He would be the one whose days are eternal. And there is only one that is eternal, and that is God. Micah declares that the Messiah would be God. He also mentions that he'll shepherd his flock in verse number 4. He says, And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. He'll stand, he'll feed his people as Jesus Christ describes himself as the good shepherd that is feeding his people. In the day of Jesus Christ in John chapter number 10 when he's talking about being the good shepherd, he's compared himself to the religious leaders of his day who were like thieves that were taking advantage of the people of Israel, much like the religious leaders of Micah's day. They were acting as thieves. They were not pastoring the people. They were not helping the people. They were robbing the people and hurting the people. But Jesus Christ came to be a shepherd to them, to feed the people, to help the people, and to encourage the people. He would take care of his flock. He would strengthen them. He would nurture them. He would protect them, and he would guide them. Finally, Micah declares that this Messiah would be a man of peace in verse 5. And this man shall be the peace. Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, the contemporary of, of Micah. Jesus said to his disciples, in me you will have peace. You know, the Israelites were in a constant stage of confusion. Would, it, would Assyria destroy them? 
They saw this great nation. They were seeing what was happening to the nation, to, to their brothers and to the north of them in Israel. And would they have food tomorrow as they were under siege by the Assyrians? They had no peace. But one was coming that would give them peace. He would be their peace. Aren't you glad that Jesus gives you peace? No, no matter what you're going through in life, the, no matter the struggles that you're facing, you can have peace. You can be like Jesus Christ sleeping in a boat while there's a storm going all around you. You can have the peace of God. There's peace with Jesus. You know, judgment is coming, but hope is also coming. Hope is also coming. Micah also mentions the hope of salvation for the nation. Time and again, God had saved the Israelites. In chapter number 6, verse number 4, it says, For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of, the, of servants. And I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. God is basically saying here, hey, I got you out of Egypt safe and sound. I protected you when, when others wanted to harm you. I defeated all the armies that were more powerful to, than you. I took care of you and I protected you. And now God has a question for him in verse number three. He says, oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Tell me, where did I mess up? I brought you out of Egypt. I protect you. I blessed you. I helped you along. Where did I mess up? That you have rejected me. That you haven't continued following me. Where have I worn you down? Why aren't you following me today? How did the Israelites show their appreciation for all that God had done for them? By disobeying his commandments. Turning from him to idols. Mistreating their neighbors and worshiping God on the outside but not living for him on the inside. Is that not how often we act? God has blessed us even more than he did the Israelites. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, so that through him we can have eternal life and know God personally. And yet, sadly, there are many who proclaim the name of Christ who still choose not to obey God. And we allow other things to be more important to us than him. We mistreat other people and we refuse to worship God the way that he wants that's what the children of Israel were doing in the day of Micah's preaching. But Micah closes the letter by reminding the children of Israel of God's love and forgiveness. He tells them that God will perform a miracle for the nation as he had done for their ancestors that when they were in Egypt in chapter number 7, verse number 15. It says, according to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. Oh, isn't that great? I'm going to bless you again. Despite all you've done, I loved you, I helped you, I was with you, and you rejected me. But despite all that, I still love you. And I'm going to do marvelous things for you again. He tells them that he'll perform miracles again. He tells them that all the nations will fear God in the nation of Israel. In verse 16, he says, The nation shall see thee, shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. I love the, the poetic way that Micah says all this. Basically says all the nations are going to fear God. God's going to work in such magnificent ways that all the nations will fear 
the Lord our God. And then he reminds Israel that God will forgive their sins and show them love and compassion. In verse 18, he said, who is, like, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou will perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Micah reminds us that God is a God of mercy, that he is a God of compassion, that he's a God who will cast our sins into the deepest seas, and that he's a God that keeps his promises. That, my friends, is hope. That is hope. God has promised hope to the children of Israel. That he would forgive them and restore them. And you know we have that same hope. Man, when we mess up, God will forgive us and restore us. The Israelites had sinned. Despite all that God had done for them, they did not love him. And they did not obey him. They had turned to idols. And even after all the religious reforms that Hezekiah had done, they were, they were more, more offering sacrifices to, to appease God in their own consciences rather than really worship God. They were religious, but they weren't righteous. They were like the athlete who, who praises God after a touchdown, but then goes out and parties all night. That was the heart and the spirit of the Israelites. But God does not want an external spectacle. He wants a heart that has been changed, as he said in chapter number 6, verse number 8. His famous verse, he says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? What does God want from you? People ask, what does God want from me? Here's what God wants from us. He says that you would do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That is what God's desire is. That's what God requires of us. He wants us to do justice, to do what is right. Not necessarily what we want. We must do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, even if it doesn't benefit us. God also wants us to be kind or merciful to other people. The Israelites were taking advantage of the poor and the helpless. God wants us to be kind to others, to love others as we love ourselves. And finally, God wants us to walk with him humbly recognizing our need of him without thinking that we can do everything ourselves without looking to Egypt to help us and to rescue us without bowing down to other uh, gods like the, the Assyrian gods and paying tribute to them God wants us to express our complete dependence upon him he wants us to have a relationship with him he wants to say God I need your help today I can't do it on my own God, I'm going to work today and I'm having trouble with my balls. I'm having trouble with my coworkers. God, I want to be a good testimony for you. God, I need your help today. Help me, please. I'm dependent upon you. You know, God is not interested in our church attendance or our tithing or our pointing to heaven after we scored touchdown. God wants us to do the right thing. God wants us to love other people and God wants us to walk with him. That's it. Or as he tells us in, Jesus said in Mark, in chapter number 12, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, it, like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When we do not do what God requires, it leads to misery. 
Or as the Israelites said in chapter 7, verse verse, Woe is me. Woe is me. Israel's life of disobedience, greed, and immorality, idolatry, and false teachings made their lives miserable. You know, sin can be pleasurable for a time, but it won't last long. Sin creates problems and anguish. It creates enemies and destroys families. And many look to the solution to their suffering and friends and family and a multitude of other things if we read in chapter 7, verse 5 and 6. But Micah says, do not look to these other solutions. In verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. God loves his people. And God wants us to have a relationship with him. But he will not allow us to continue in sin. He wouldn't allow the Israelites. And three, here we are 3,000 years later. And God is still the same God. He punishes us for sin. But if we repent, God will show us mercy. And so what does God require from us? What does Micah teach us? That we should love God. And we should love others. We should do what is right. We should treat others the way that God wants us to. And we should walk humbly with our God. Is that how your life is described? Is that you? Are you more like the Israelites who worship God on the outside, but did not actually do what he wanted him to do? May God help us to love him and to love other people. That's the message that Micah gives us.